the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Did you know that there are approximately 4,018,000 miles of roadway in the United States? About 65 million miles of road all around the world. But perhaps there is none as straight and as flat as a stretch of Interstate 80 just west of Salt Lake City. Anybody ever been that way? Oh my goodness, we were on a great Milky Family adventure, of course, on our way back, and we went across this stretch of highway that's in the salt flats there of the Utah desert. It's so straight that I'm pretty sure if you have good alignment in your car, uh, that you could probably set it on cruise control and sort of be on autopilot for miles and miles and miles. It's so monotonous that, as you can see from the picture, there are constant signs warning you of drowsy driving. But as today we continue to look at God's Advent project, what makes for a boring road trip is precisely the image that Isaiah uses today. You see, in the ancient worlds, kings would have these royal processions as they went from city to city on the highways in the countryside. And they'd go, of course, with their entire entourage, much like a presidential motorcade would travel today. And the king's servants would then go before that entourage. They would prepare the way. They'd make sure everything was out of the way, make sure everyone was out of the way, that nothing would stop that procession. Now again, Advent means that our God and our King is coming to us. And He wants a straight, even, flat, super highway so that He may come directly to you. We must clear the path, friends. We have to remove every obstacle. We've got to cut down every mountain. We have to fill every valley so that nothing would impede His way to our hearts. Now, it's not that our Lord can't get up over the mountains or through the valleys. All right? He's God. He can do whatever He wants, right? On one level, He's like that old Motown song by Marvin Gaye. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. That's how our God feels about us. Nothing nothing can stop Him. Nothing except us. Because, Because you see, our God always respects our freedom. 
He'll never be like a bulldozer and just plow his way to us. He wants for us to prepare the way for him. He wants us to want him to come to us. So we're all great big road construction project. Now around here, of course, in Indiana, things are pretty flat, right? But like other regions of our own country, Isaiah's Middle Eastern landscape was quite rugged. There were mountains that needed to be cut. There were valleys that needed to be filled in. And of course, we have heavy equipment to do this, our bulldozers and inloaders or whatever else. In Isaiah's day, it would have all been done by hand or whatever animal strength, perhaps, that they could have harnessed. In other words, there are no shortcuts. There are no easy paths. We're talking, my friends, about the difficult work, the hard work of repentance. There are valleys in each of us that need to be filled. Gaping holes. Places where we are deeply lacking. Now, I'm not talking about the things that we don't like about ourselves, right? Our deficiencies. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. No, I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about how we lack morally and spiritually. Things like our lack of worship and devotion and prayer. Maybe our Sunday worship is sporadic as it kind of works into the schedule. Our daily worship, eh, pretty much non-existent. Or even if we are doing those things, maybe we're just going through the motions and we lack fervor. And the thing is, if I'm not really worshiping Him, then I'm probably also not really obeying Him. I mean, the Ten Commandments are actually just ten suggestions, right? Oh, I know what God says about sex. I know. But you know what? I'm filled with desire. No, what you're really full of is lust. And ironically, lust is a lack of real sexual desire. And that's why when you sleep around or you look at pornography, when it's over, you have this feeling like there's an empty valley inside of you. Or maybe you're filled with anger, but it's actually a lack of self-control. You can't control your rage or your mean-spirited tongue, or maybe even your fists. But then you wonder why there's a void of meaningful, healthy relationships in your life. Go figure, nobody wants to be around you. Or maybe you're filled with greed. You haven't learned the paradoxical secret that clinging to things leaves you empty, and giving it all away actually fills you up. There are deep valleys like these in all of us, but there's also lofty, steep mountain peaks, the heights of selfish arrogance and pride. See, we love to prop ourselves up to a, a high place above others. We will even use others to prop ourselves up, to put ourselves in that position. We'll use others to get whatever we want, or we like to compare ourselves to those that we feel like they're a little bit less than us. It's easy, pickings. Oh, and if they begin to get close to my little perch up here, well, then I just put them back down. But even worse is that we like to hold ourselves above God. 
Instead of seeing ourselves in total dependence and placing ourselves under his lordship, I plow ahead recklessly, blazing my own trail and insisting that he gets in behind me so that he's there when I want him to fill my needs and my desires and my wants and be there to bail me out whenever I need him. Oh, but the rest of the time, no, no, no. See, it's my hard work. It's all been my achievements and my success. Instead of recognizing it and being grateful that it's all just a gift from him. And so instead of being flat on my face in awe-filled fear because of his immense holiness that could evaporate me in a millisecond, I come in and I plop down on my pew or I plop down on my couch because I think I'm doing him a favor an hour a week. And if you're saying to yourself, like, oh, come on, pastor, we're not that bad. I'm not that bad. Come on. Isaiah then goes on to say that even the uneven ground must become level and the rough places must become a plain. We must become completely smooth. But see, I think that's the most dangerous territory to be in. To think to yourself, oh, come on, I have no real valleys. I I have no mountains. Oh, there's just a few little bumps and dips inside of me. I'm mostly okay. That's dangerous. Because if you think you're okay, then what do you need a Savior for, right? To state the obvious, a Savior comes to save. But if you don't think you really need to be saved then you're probably not going to prepare a highway for him. But that is the Advent project. It is Isaiah's message, and John the Baptist's message, and Jesus' message, and the church's message. Repent. And realize that that road construction project in you is going to be hard, arduous, work. And in this world, it never ends. It's sort of like when you're driving around in the summertime, there's always construction going on somewhere, right? But start by examining the terrain of your life. Recognize every valley, every mountain, even every uneven and rough place in you. And confess them to God with real sorrow. In the Christian tradition, there are two types of sorrow for sin. The first is attrition. That's sorrow because you fear being punished. Maybe you got caught, right? And attrition's good because you recognize your sin, but it's imperfect because your sorrow is still centered on you. But then there's contrition, which is deep-felt, perfect sorrow because you know that you have offended and you have hurt the one that you love. Your God. And that breaks your heart. You learn in contrition to hate your sin. <laughs> and everything in you wants to repair and prepare that highway for Him. Did you know that the lowest river valley in the world is the Jordan River? It's approximately 1,300 feet below sea level. And about 20 miles from there is Jerusalem, which then sits on a mountain that's about 2,500 feet above 
sea level. Jesus' entire ministry goes from that valley up to that mountain. First of all, he descends into that lowest river valley, into the Jordan River, into the deepest valley of our own humanity. He goes there to find his cousin John. And you heard John say, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his shoes. But Jesus comes and actually places himself even under John and asks for John's baptism, which was a baptism for a bunch of sinners, for people who came looking to be saved. And as they get into the Jordan River, and as their sins, and as their death is being washed off, and as we get into our font, and our sins, and our death are washed off, as Jesus gets into the Jordan River and descends into the depths of our humanity, all of that is washed on to Him. And he takes it and he carries it upon himself and he leaves that valley and begins to climb the mountain. He carries it all the way to the mountain of human pride. To the city of Jerusalem. The city that was meant to be God's city. But to the place where we instead placed ourselves above God and judged him. Oh, we thought we would make better gods than he is. And so we kill him on Mount Calvary. But of course, as you know, he didn't stay dead. And our God and our king will come again. So you need to fill every valley, my friends, so that you can rise up to meet him. You need to cut down every mountain so that you can bow down to greet him. But we are not cutting and filling alone. In fact, you can trust this, that he has already been to the lowest valley and already up to the highest mountain. So let him take you by the hand and let him go with you into that scariest valley in you, into the gaping chasms of your own heart, even into the valley of the shadow of death so that he can fill those valleys inside of you. And amazingly, he even patiently ascends with us to the foolish heights of our pride, even as he waits for us to humble ourselves and recognize, oh Lord, no, I really need you. You see, there ain't no mountain high enough, and there ain't no valley low enough, and there ain't no river wide enough to keep him from getting to you, to keep him from loving you. Recognize that you cannot do this work of repentance alone. Don't even try it. But on the other hand, he can't do it alone either. He wants you to invite him to prepare that road inside of you. So do that. Invite him to fill every valley. Invite him to cut down every mountain so that when you die or when he returns, whichever one happens to come first, there will be a flat, even, straight, super highway for your God to come right to you. Let me give you a moment to pray about this, asking him to fill your valleys and to cut down your mountains.